0: This next episode was episode 139, where we talk about how to deal with family rejection. Welcome back to the Rocky Retirement Show. I'm your host, Kathy Klein. And today we're talking about something serious, and that is rebuilding relationships with your adult children. Now, if you've listened to the show before, you are probably aware that I personally don't have any children. But one thing that I do know is that most of my listeners do, and some of them don't talk to their kids anymore. So if you have children and your relationship seems strained, or if you know someone who no longer talks with their kids, then this is the episode for you. In this show, We'll show you how to deal with rejection from family members, including your adult children. Today's guest is Tina Gilbertson, and she's an expert who helps parents of estranged adult children. But before we dive in, I wanted to tell you that this episode is brought to you by the Baby Boomers 30-Day Journal. This write-in journal helps you keep your life on track by tracking what's important to you. And these are the six pillars of retirement that we've talked about on the show. One of those six pillars is family. Whether it's becoming closer to your natural family or finding a non-blood family to lean on, these issues are important. To get a copy of the book, head on over to Amazon and search the Baby Boomers 30-Day Journal. And if you have it already, I'd love an honest five-star review. (laughs) Okay, I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and welcome Tina Gilbertson. Tina, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, Kathy, I really appreciate being able to be here with you. I love the show. And it's an honor to be a guest.
0: Well, thank you so much. Please tell my listener who you are and your story of why you focus on helping parents of estranged adult children. Sure. Well, my story actually begins uh, before
1: I was born. My grandmother, she left home when she was still a teenager and she never looked back. And my mother, her daughter, grew up without knowing her grandparents on that side. There was just total, complete cutoff between my grandmother and her parents. Now, I, I grew up Knowing that, but because my grandmother lived on another continent and we, you know, I only met her once, she was not very much a part of my life. I didn't even really think very much about it until I became a therapist. And I had clients who would come in and they would tell me how much they dreaded hearing from their parents and they didn't want to go home for Thanksgiving or some other holiday. And to me, this struck me as a completely new idea. You know, I I just completely forgot that this, this kind of um, strained relationship between a child and their parent had actually happened in my own family. But uh, this, it struck me as a real problem, and I thought, gee, if only their parents knew some of the stuff that they're talking to me about. So I wrote an article on my website, and I thought, well, I better make this general because really, how many parents are we talking about here? This is probably a more general problem. So I wrote an article called What to Do When Someone Won't Talk to You. And I posted that on my website, and I immediately started getting comments and emails and just tons of feedback, and most of it was from parents whose children were no longer talking to them. So I thought, huh, yeah, I had no idea it was such a big problem. And so I wrote another article just for parents and another article and so on. And to make a long story short, I ended up writing a guide for parents, just for parents, And uh, deciding to, because there was such a need out there for compassion and resources, I decided to turn my my career in that direction and really focus on helping these folks.
0: Wow. Okay, so now I have to ask you a personal question. Okay. (laughs) Did you ever find out why your grandmother sort of disowned her parents? No. No, I never
1: did. My mom had no idea. I, I can only imagine that that uh, she just there was something in her environment growing up that she just didn't didn't want to deal with, and of course back in the early 20th century there was no internet, there was no way her parents could have. I mean, I think it would have been very difficult for them to find her, even let alone to try to make that repair. So thank goodness nowadays, if someone tries to do a lifelong cutoff like that. Um, it's a little harder because it's hard to disappear nowadays.
0: Now, you said she was on a different continent. What What did you mean by that?
1: She was born and raised in Brazil, as was my mother. So that's a that's quite a long trip from Canada where I grew up.
0: Wow. You know, I've been to Brazil and <laughs> I love it. Have you ever been there?
1: Well, as a baby, I, I went. But no, not since then.
0: Oh, it's such a beautiful country. You know, um, I'm going to sort of veer off here. When I was in my early 20s, I won a trip to go to Rio de Janeiro. and wow. um, Yeah. And actually, this trip estranged me from my best friend. And hmm. so it's funny. It's totally it's off a theme. subject. Yeah. But um, what happened was my best friend at the time, um she was working for this organization that was nonprofit and they had this, they, they had the, this raffle. And I entered the raffle, you know, just to kind of make a donation. I think I sent in 20 bucks and just had completely forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't go to whatever the gala was, you because know, I really didn't have any money in my 20s. And... The next day, my friend called me. She says, Kathy, you won. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's great. What did I win? And she says, the trip. And I'm like, ah, that's wonderful. What trip? And she said, you're going to Rio de Janeiro. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I was really excited about it. And in the spur of the moment, she says, who are you going to take? Because she knew I didn't have a boyfriend. You know, I was dating, uh, but didn't really have a significant other at the time. And she says, I, I want to go. And I said, OK, OK, I'll take you. And then, of course, <laughs> I didn't because mm. she was quite a bit older than me. I would say I'm, I'm trying to think of how anyway, I think she was like 30 years older than me. Wow. And I started dating somebody. And the person told me that if I took him, he would pay for everything mm. and uh, I wouldn't have to pay for anything, all of all wow. of the expenses, you know, because the trip was paid for, I had the hotel, and the plane fare. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, I would have to eat, maybe some trinkets while I was there. And I thought in my financial planner brain, Oh, it'll just be, you know, a lot less expensive if I took this guy, and I kind of like him. So why not? Well, mm-hmm. you can imagine how she felt. And I wasn't thinking about how she would feel. And she said to me, "Kathy, you have a new a new person in your life every 6 months, and I've been your friend for all this time, and I can't believe you're that you're doing this to me." And she was right. And I felt guilty about it, but I took him anyway, and then our relationship was never the same after that. Mm-hmm. Um and we were estranged for many 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 years. And yep. I wouldn't say we're estranged now. I mean, we we it's not that we don't talk, uh, but she lives in another city. But, yeah, so that was completely my fault. <laughs> you, know, so, uh, you know, I don't know that I could have repaired that. What do you think as, as someone who repairs relationships? I
1: think it would have taken an a really highly skilled and very, very sincere apology and maybe some time for you to repair that. Uh, and we can talk about what what a really good apology looks like, because that is, I think, the most important relationship repair tool, even when it's not your fault. Just an apology is a relationship repair tool. And if you can do it really well, it makes relationships go so much more smoothly. And you can, you'd be surprised at what you can repair.
0: Well, let's talk about it. What does a good apology look like? Well, it
1: contains at least three elements. And and let's let's look at for first. Let's look at a bad apology to see um, what that looks like. A bad apology is like, "I'm sorry you feel that way." I hate that, right? Everybody <laughs> hates that. I mean, it, it's it's to be on the receiving end of that, you might as well be slapped, right? "I'm sorry you feel that way." Yeah, don't even say so anything if you're gonna say right, that. Right. Right. So let's talk about what's missing. The first thing that's missing is the what. I'm sorry about what, what did I do that I'm sorry for? I'm sorry I treated you in such a way that you felt like I didn't, that, that, that you didn't matter to me. I'm sorry I didn't, didn't uh, show up for you the way I should have as a friend. I'm sorry I let you down. So a good apology starts with I'm sorry I did something. Sorry about what I did. And then you wanna be specific about what you did so they know that you know what you're apologizing for, because because just saying, well, I'm sorry, blanket, I'm sorry, it, it doesn't have the same impact, so the first thing is, what did you do that you're sorry for, the second thing is, you, you have to indicate that you understand why it was hurtful, why it was hurtful, I'm sorry I did this, I'm sorry my tone was harsh when I spoke with you, you didn't deserve that, um, it was, it was, it must have felt really bad for me to snap at you like that. So you're kind of indicating that you get it. You get what the injury was. This is very validating. It's the opposite of, well, you took it the wrong way. You're too sensitive. That's very invalidating. So you want to indicate that you understand, yeah, that was hurtful. Nobody would like that, what I did. And then, of course, the third thing is the remorse, the, the regret. I, I so regret what I did and, and how it made you feel. If I could take it back, if only I could take it back, I certainly would. So the regret. So the what? What you did, why it was hurtful. And then there's just the emotional piece. I really feel terribly sorry about that.
0: Okay, so let me go back in time, mm-hmm. 20, 30, 30 almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. I don't still don't know if it could have been repaired, but if I would have said something like you know I'm I'm sorry that I told you that I was going to take you without thinking. And I I know that you've been my best friend for for many many years and I chose to take this yahoo over you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, And you're right, we did wind up breaking up and I was wrong. I was wrong to take him over you and, and I know that must have hurt. You were really excited about coming with me and I know we would have had a good time and instead I let you down and I'm sorry. Something like that? That's really good.
1: That's really good. And and I might even say something. I, I I'm sorry. I let my own, you know, need for this trip to to be uh, less expensive or whatever. I, I'm sorry. I let my own needs get in the way of our friendship. I I I had asked you. We were going together, and then I let my own needs cloud my judgment. And I so regret that because of of the
0: impact that it had on our friendship, and understandably so. Right. I think instead I said something dumb like, Well, I, I'm sorry I told you that I was gonna take you, but you know, my my boyfriend here said he'd pay for everything and and you know, I think I'm gonna take him instead. So <laughs> you were completely honest with her. Oh, oh yeah, I mean I'm, you were honest. I'm overly honest. <laughs> You know, but sometimes my delivery can seem harsh. Well, that's true for all of us.
1: It takes a lot of um forethought and skill and practice. And also, you know, the other thing that gets in the way of a good apology and this is true for a lot of parents is is uh, defensiveness. It's really hard to give a good apology if you feel defensive or if you feel like a dope.
0: Oh for yeah. What you did. Yeah, so for me the defensive part was well, I was excited. It was in the moment. And she shouldn't have asked. That was kind right. of, that was my, that was my thinking at the time.
1: Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. When we feel like we've maybe have in, unwittingly hurt somebody or, or have done something that we feel doesn't put us in the best light, we do get defensive and you know, it comes out in our apologies. It just in little, just around the corners, you know, it just sort of seeps out through the edges of our apologies and that taints the apology. So it's it's hard to do but you've got to get into a place of just complete defenselessness like, which
0: is so uh, hard to do especially in the moment so hard like it's especially easy for me now because it's mm-hmm. you know almost 30 years later yeah but back then i just let our relationship die you know it's yeah. like mm. and i always felt bad about that afterwards yeah Yeah. yeah. I
1: have regrets like that, too. I think maybe most people do when we look back at our 20s and some things that we'd said to other people and did without thinking about how it would land on them. I don't know too many people who don't have any any of those kinds of regrets. But uh, I think parents in particular deal also with this kind of core shame about there's so much pressure on parents to be perfect. And, and to parent perfectly and to never make sure that their kids are never hurt and that they thrive, um, that if you just scratch the surface, you'll find this parental shame and this just this um, self, um, not loathing, but uh, self-denigration regrets. about oh, gee, yeah. regrets, you know, like, uh, I, I know I did things wrong, I wish I'd done things differently. But I say, you know, if, if, if you tried to program a robot, to parent a child and never <laughs> do anything wrong. You right. couldn't do it. Exactly. It's too, there's too, it's too sophisticated an algorithm that would be required. We, it's just, there are too many variables. It's impossible. No parent, parents perfectly. And yet there's still all this shame around if your kids aren't happy or if they're not talking to you, a lot of people feel like they're the only ones, you know, why isn't my kid talking to me? Was I so terrible?
0: Well, you know, what's funny. You know, it's funny too, is that, uh, people have different perspectives about what their parents did. So, oh, yeah, my sister and I—we had the same mother, and yep. we both lived with her at the same time. Now, she we 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 left and moved in with my father. My parents got divorced when we were really young, but her memories are way different. I mean, we, we had the same experiences, but our memories and the way we react to them are different. And that's easily, yeah, go ahead. Well, you can have the exact, you can have two, three, four kids and they're all living in the same house with you, but some of them have a totally different experience than the others. So maybe you're not doing things as wrong as you think. Maybe it's that person's perspective. I, I don't know. Right. You're the therapist.
1: (laughs) You're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that's the norm is for kids to have different experiences of growing up in the same home. Part of that is temperament, right? The the kid comes into the world. They're not a blank slate. They have some sort of personality. You can see it immediately. So there is something of temperament involved. But there's also birth order and, and what's going on in the parents' lives when that particular child is born. And, uh, you know, having two kids instead of one or three kids instead of two, there are so many factors that do go into making subtle differences in the experiences that kids do have. You know, their needs may be different. Um, they may share the birth order of the parent, which can be, uh, which can put more stress on a relationship between a parent and a child. For example, a firstborn parent will often have higher expectations of their firstborn child than of any subsequent children. And, and it's thought that, um, you know, there's just some sort of projection there. It's like, this is me getting a chance to do my childhood over again. So if I was bullied at school or whatever, I wanna make darn sure that my child who shares my birth order and reminds me of me does not get bullied at school. So, so I'm gonna be a little bit more anxious in that relationship than maybe with other children.
0: The mini me syndrome, right? Yeah, yes. <laughs> that's your yeah, next I'll book. Be That'll be your next book. Right. The <laughs> mini me syndrome. <laughs> I think that's a great title. Maybe, maybe you should. Um... No, you're the one to write it. I'll, I'll just enjoy. I'll just enjoy it.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I knew how and when that occurs. It's certainly not a, a done deal that every parent does this, but it does happen. It's, it's interesting how frequently it happens, particularly with firstborn parents and their firstborn children. But anyway, so I'm just all to say that uh, if if you and your sister had different experiences, it's because you're different people. And because to some degree, you did have different experiences only in the same house. You each had a different relationship with your parents.
0: That's so interesting. So,
1: well, so with estrangement, there is an element of luck. I have met people who described parents who were by any account abusive physically, verbally, emotionally. And yet these kids grow up and they dote on their parents. When their parents are retired, they enjoy a great relationship with these children whom they were basically ignoring and abusing. It's just, you know, how do you explain that? These are these parents are lucky that their kids, you know, were able to, to overcome that and and still value the relationship. Other parents are very mindful about their parenting, there's no abuse and everything, and they end up somehow on the outs with one or more of their children. So even though there's an element of luck though, I think it's important to recognize that that's not the only thing going on. If it were, if it were just a matter of, oh well, I've got a child who is unforgiving, then there would be nothing you could do And in my experience, that's rarely the case, that there's nothing the parent can do to repair the relationship. So, yes, uh, temperament is a a factor. Luck is a factor. But um, I think there are other factors that parents have much more power with than they realize.
0: So do you have some, I guess, some steps that the listener can take to repair that damage that's been done?
1: Yeah, I think the first steps are emotional and then there's strategic steps that you take in relation to your child. But the most important thing that has to happen for a relationship to be repaired is that the parent has to find a place of compassion. Now that may just sound like, well, that's kind of vague. So let me say what I'm talking about. There are some obstacles to compassion and therefore to relationship repair one of them is this shame slash defensiveness that parents experience when their child is is rejecting or ignoring them inside the parent there's a lack of compassion for herself or himself like it's like my my child is rejecting me i feel unworthy i must have been a bad parent Um, you know at some level there may be ambivalence there. It might just be, I'm angry at my child. How can they do this? But at some level, there's also, what's wrong with me? And so the parent needs to bring self-compassion into the picture and really, really embrace the idea that they're human and they, they did the best that they knew how at the time. They made sacrifices. They, they are okay as people. They're good enough. That's really important for you to repair a relationship with anyone your relationship with yourself has to be intact. And that requires self-compassion because we're all human. So that's one um, obstacle that gets in the way is a lack of self-compassion in the parent. And then the other one that, I, that happens a lot is the parent asks, why, why is it okay? Why does my child think it's okay to act this way and hurt me this deeply? Why don't they care? that their behavior is piercing me to the core. And and there's some anger behind that. And so the shift that needs to happen there is to understand that your child is probably not, I mean, nine times out of 10, nine and a half times out of 10, they're not being callous, they're not being uh, intentionally cruel or uh, neglectful about hurting you. 9 times out of 10 your child is herself or himself hurt by something in the dynamic the relationship between you they are hurt and they are retreating and their retreat is hurting you so it's like this cycle of hurt people hurting people you know and and so to bring compassion to to your child and see that they themselves are are being protective is the beginning of being able to to approach repair. So it's compassion for the self, compassion for the position of this child who's behaving in a cruel and hurtful way. And only then can the parent begin to take steps like making a good apology and opening themselves to their child's experience. And, and really make that repair and using those steps.
0: So after they sort of change their mindset, so it sounds like the first two are really working on your own mindset. You know, the first Mm -hmm. is to forgive yourself. And the second is to shift your mindset about what your child is doing Mm -hmm. because you're seeing what they're doing is hurtful to you. Whereas the child might be seeing it. I'm hurt. I got to get away from what's hurting me. Right. Right. so then after you and it sounds like this mindset shift can take a while it's not something that's going to happen overnight Um, but after you've worked on that then what then what do you do for most
1: people the first step is to figure out something that you can apologize for and here's here's why not because you're you're bad or wrong or because you, there is so much for you to apologize for. because But because the apology is the one form of communication that, if it's done well, cannot possibly be taken as an attack, as a threat, as anything other than what it is, which is a gift. So that's why you start with an apology. When someone doesn't want to have uh, contact with you, they don't, they don't want a long email from you explaining why you were a good parent. That's the last thing they want. That they're not open to it. The only thing that they might potentially be open to is um, even if you haven't done anything wrong, you know, I, I have used this technique myself with, with when people feel like they've, that, that they've been hurt by something that I completely was unwittingly unaware of and, and it was not my intention. It's still it's still appropriate for me to apologize. I am so sorry I hurt your feelings when I looked at you across the buffet table, and with a with my face all screwed up. That must have felt awful to you. You must have been so confused as to why I was glaring at you like that. I I so regret that. You know, to be honest, I don't even remember that, but I do remember that my stomach was hurting. But uh, in any case, I. I just hate that I gave you a dirty look across the table. So what I'm saying is that no matter what, no matter how guilty or culpable you feel, or even if you can even think of what to apologize for, the apology is an appropriate opening back in to connection. Mm.
0: So in other words, uh, no matter how silly it might seem like, mm-hmm. like you would mm-hmm. say something beautifully, whereas I might say, you're out of your mind. I don't even remember seeing you at the buffet table that day. Right. I, I don't even right. know what you're talking about.
1: That's the natural response. That is the natural knee-jerk response. What are you talking about? No, I didn't. I didn't give you a dirty look. What are you talking about?
0: Were you even there? And, like, I don't even right. remember you I being there. You. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. That is a natural human response to something when you're blindsided by somebody being hurt by you. Hmm. But unfortunately, that natural response is received as invalidating. You don't care about my feelings. You know, you, right. you don't take any responsibility for your behavior. You don't care if you hurt me. Right. And, and it starts this cycle of hurt. I hurt you. You hurt me. And on and on. Right. So we can't be together
0: anymore. Is there such a thing as an apology coach? Huh. What an interesting thought. I don't know. There's another book for you. The Apology Coach.
1: The Apology Coach. Well, Harriet (laughs) Lerner has written a a good book uh, called Why Won't You Apologize? That's all about Mm. apologies.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. I've read excerpts, but I haven't read the whole thing yet. But, uh, you know, shes I'm sure she's got some very good stuff in there.
0: Okay. Now, now, let's say you apologize. Is there an instant, uh, so you apologize, and then all of a sudden it's happy ever after? How does that work?
1: <laughs> well, that's, a, that's perceptive of you to ask. The answer is, of course not. Not, not usually, uh, because often the person may not even know how to respond to a beautiful apology. They have got you pegged as someone who is um, just turning a blind eye to their pain, doesn't care, uh, doesn't take any responsibility. Maybe they think you're a narcissist. And then when you come out with this remorse and accurate empathy for them, they have no idea how to respond to that. So what you might get back is complete silence. But if what you've been getting before is, is angry responses, and now you get a neutral response or silence, then you will know that you've had an impact. But the best way to know that you've had an impact Is to make a great apology and trust that that's what you've done, and then you may need to give it some time, and then try again. You know, it's been a few months since I called you, and um, I just wanted to call and check in again and let you know that I I stand by what I said when I the last time I called, and uh, I do so regret hurting you, and if if you can find it in your heart to maybe have a conversation with me, I would really love to apologize to you face to face or voice to voice. So what, what you're doing is you're just you're being consistent in your approach. And that consistency is very important because even a broken clock is right twice a day. People can't necessarily trust that someone who gives a great apology on Tuesday is still going to be remorseful on Wednesday.
0: That's true. I think we've all seen that where somebody seemed apologetic and then just went back to their old ways. Right? Exactly. And that's what
1: children expect of their parents. And anybody who knows anybody well expects that they know them well enough to know. No, uh, uh-uh, that's not real. They're just, you know, they they found an apology coach and they, they got some coaching and uh, offered an apology. Well, I'm not going to fall for that. So consistency is part of repair. And that's hard because you, you have to keep going, moving in this direction and not necessarily getting any feedback or reinforcement for what you're doing. And most of us, human beings, have a very hard time with not getting anything back when we're putting stuff out there.
0: How do you deal with that? Not, you know, it feels like you're apologizing to a brick wall. Yeah. Nothing's yep. well, going to change. It's like, well, why, why even bother? They're not even going to accept my apology anyway.
1: Right. Right. And, and that's a great question. How do you deal with that? You, you've got to realize that this is what you're signing up for when you sign up to repair a relationship. This is what's going to happen. So your expectation for feedback is not going to be met. And if you can inoculate yourself ahead of time by, by rehearsing what's going to happen, I'm going to put myself out there, I'm going to get silence or nothing back, then you can maybe reduce those you'll still be disappointed you know you can't really control how you feel but at least you you are not going to tell yourself a story that this isn't working this is a waste of time but you can also i mean I, i wrote a book called constructive wallowing i think it's very important and research is showing that it's very important to be allowed to have those feelings And label them. That's called affect labeling, and it's very helpful. What you do is you just say to yourself, "I sent um, a letter to my son or daughter, and I poured my heart out, and I feel so vulnerable, and now I feel disappointed that I haven't heard anything back, and I'm actually a little angry. I'm angry at my kid." And so you just you talk yourself through those feelings, and you just you don't try to fix them or get rid of them. You just talk yourself through them. And sometimes that's the very best we can do with a situation that is itself the problem. The feelings are not the problem. The situation is the problem. So you have to be allowed to have the feelings that you have.
0: So so when you're at that stage, when you're at that mm-hmm. stage, when you've made your apology, you've reached out, you're not getting any feedback, that's where your book can help people deal with those feelings of not getting any feedback. Is that correct?
1: Well, the guide is all about the whole tamale. It's, it's, it's from step zero, which is my kid won't talk to me. What do I do through um, um, self-compassion? How do I find compassion for myself in this situation through what, what do I say in my first contact? What do I say in this email that I'm sending? And then through beyond that, now, what do I do now that I haven't gotten a response? How do I manage that? How do I deal? So it's kind of the whole, the whole package from before to during and
0: after. Okay. So let me, um, I know we're starting to run out of time. So what I want to do is just go through some of the steps that I wrote down and you can tell me whether or not I got it right or wrong. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So the first thing that you need to do when attempting to repair a relationship is be compassionate towards yourself because yep. you, especially as a parent, you can't be expected to do everything 100% right. You're human. Mm-hmm. And I am a Christian. As far as I know, the only perfect human was Jesus. None of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if a listener's not Christian, that's fine. Just ignore that comment. Okay, now, number two, uh, you have to shift your mind about why your child is doing what they're doing. They're not necessarily doing it just to hurt you, they might be pulling back to protect themselves. And then once you get that mindset for both yourself, be compassion for yourself, be compassionate for both yourself and your child, then you can start taking the steps to make the repairs. Which be would be first, figure out what you're actually apologizing for. You can't just make a blanket apology about nothing. It's got to be about a specific event. Mm-hmm. And then give a good apology. You know, don't explain why you weren't at fault. Give an actual good apology, which we kind of, you kind of coached me through at the beginning of this episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. Then, excuse the papers rattling, I'm looking at my notes. After you've made that apology, expect a neutral response or silence. Don't expect them to come arms outreached, you know, oh, I'm so glad you finally saw the light and apologize because that's probably not going to happen. Then give it a few months, check back in, ask them if you can apologize, you know, face-to-face if possible, and still expect that they will not give you any feedback. So basically, This is all about them and not about you. You are doing this as a gift to them and not expecting anything in return. Did did I miss out? Did I miss anything?
1: No, Kathy, that
0: was a brilliant summary. That was really well done. Well, I was just uh, summarizing what you said. (laughs) (laughs) I like to give the listener actionable actionable tips. So if the listener wants to dive in deep, you know, mm-hmm. more than what this 30-minute episode can do, how can they get more information? Okay, well, if you want to dive in deep, what I would
1: do is think about getting some personal therapy locally, wherever you live. Find a therapist who seems kind and compassionate and a good listener and, you know, in in, in theory, you can do this with a friend or someone who who cares about you the biggest difference is the confidentiality piece but find somebody you can really be open with about your emotional whatever space you're in emotionally so that you can really get some emotional healing because the biggest the biggest I think factor in healing and repairing a relationship with your child is doing so with yourself most of the parents i work with have been have been injured before in other relationships. This rejection is touching them so deeply in such a tender place because you know they were they were wounded in certain ways before their child was probably even born. And so there are always things that need to be healed. So number one, think about starting a, a therapeutic relationship to to get your own emotional needs met. Once you've done that, I guess I would invite you to go to my website. And go to tinagilbertson.com forward slash estrangement. And there I have a program of support for parents, which includes the guide and some monthly phone calls and a private newsletter just for parents.
0: So is this um, now let me make sure I wrote this down right. Tinagilbertson.com slash estrangement. Is that correct? Estrangement, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and I'll have a link to this in the show notes as well. So is this program, so this is more than just a book. This is actually um, more like coaching, is that correct? It's a six-month program of support. Uh, the book is the
1: anchor. The guide, the creatively titled Guide for Parents of Estranged Adult Children uh, is just the anchor for this program. And each month I do a group conference call where people who have read the guide can ask questions and and get clarification and get ideas for how to approach their personal situation. And also there is a monthly newsletter that is exclusively just entirely about estrangement from an adult child. And I look at different themes, things that might come up around that, how to deal with silence, what if there's parental alienation, all kinds of things that are just of interest to parents in this situation.
0: Okay, so the guide and this program is separate from your book, is that correct?
1: The guide is is the book. Okay, so the wallowing is the book, oh, right? Yes, Constructive Wallowing is was my first book. That came out in 2014, and many parents I have talked to also read that book. You can get it from the library. I mean, it's just a regular book. It's available wherever books are are available.
0: Okay. So if they wanted to start with the book, they could, and then they could go into your six month program.
1: Yeah. Or they could do them in tandem. The the constructive wallowing is all about dealing with difficult feelings and parents who are estranged from their children, they are some of the most uh, hurting people around and they've got big feelings to deal with. So I think that the constructive wallowing book is a good adjunct to the program that is specific to
0: how do you repair a relationship with your child? Well, I think this has been a very, very packed full of information episode and I really appreciate your coming on the show. I think that well, I think Great. that many of my listeners will definitely get something out of this.
1: I really hope so. You know, it's very gratifying to be able to work with this population. When it works, it's it's magic. It's a beautiful thing when parents and children can come back together and everybody benefits from that.
0: Well, thank you again for coming on the show. And, Thank um, you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And I hope to see you online in the Facebook group. Yep. And for my listener, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement.